Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Exploring the human endeavor. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective. I've noticed some people, like linguists, collect words. Bill Primo is my father. My dad is a first speaker of Ojibwe Muin. You know, like uh, Ojibwe words? He lives in, like, central east Minnesota, close to tribal lands. They collect them like like butterflies and put them under glass and, and they show people, look at, I know this word, look at here, this word is mine now. It's very much him and his dog, Kekek. Kekek means hawk in Ojibwe Muin. And they live out in the woods. He, he's retired, but he's busier than ever with helping folks learn language, learn Ojibwe Muin, which is the language of the Ojibwe people. I like to watch the young people that learn, learn the language, and they don't do that. They kind of like mumble the word a couple times and then forget it and mumble it again and come back. And, and pretty soon they can't wait for that perfect time to use a word that they've learned. And once they do that, that word is theirs. What, what, is that, what does he mean by that? That word is theirs, Leah. <laughs> you know when you start to learn a new language and you start to dream in the language? I think that's what he means when it becomes theirs. They can use it without reservation. Almost like you have a skill like playing the piano. You know, it's something that you can sit down and play freely after a while of practice. You're practicing this word, and then eventually it becomes yours to express on command <laughs> that you'd, whenever you'd like. The way we use language is a lot of it's used in ceremony, funerals, and when we're together. So a lot of those events and get-togethers were postponed, let's say, because we want to make sure to protect our elders from COVID-19. So in that respect, my dad had to adjust. There was a bit of COVID that went around and quite a few elders passed away from COVID with our tribe. So acquaintances and community members did pass away. From Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America, this is Subtitled, stories about languages and the people who speak them. I'm Patrick Cox. In this episode, how did the Ojibwe language survive the pandemic? Okay, do you want to ask me or should I just go? No, I think you should just go. Okay. Ani Buju Lia Lem Indijnakaz Windgukwe Indigu Bijun Indurum Mizaga Iganing Indunjaba. Hello, I'm Lia Lem. That's my English name. I'm from the Malak's band of Ojibwe and my clan is the Lynx clan. And I also said my Ojibwe name in there as well, Windukwe. So we have 
a larger nation, the Ojibwe nation that extends Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, Canada. And then we have the Minnesota Chippewa tribe, which is made up of several bands. And the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe is part of the Minnesota Chippewa tribe. And then there are families of Ojibwe. You know, they're named after different animals or dudames. They're just more like closely related families. So you don't you don't marry your cousin. <laughs> you don't want that. Estimates vary, but there may be as many as 60,000 people in North America speaking Ojibwe Moin, the Ojibwe language. Most are in Canada. In the US, it's fewer than 10,000. Only a fraction of fluent speakers, and an even smaller fraction of first speakers. Most of them are like Leah's father, old enough to be grandparents. Leah's first language was English. I've been a student of the Ojibwe language off and on. It is a very difficult language to learn, at least for me. <laughs> I mean, I also took Spanish in high school, you know, did the, the five years of Spanish, and the, there's so many similarities between Spanish and English. But Ojibwe Moen has just a different worldview. It's very action-based and very descriptive. I would say that learning Spanish is like learning something new, learning something as a tool, and learning the Ojibwe language, I would say, is more like remembering remembering something, remembering my connection to the land and to my ancestors and a way of understanding the world more. There was a significant disturbance in our history of language and culture that created kind of a brief forgetting of the language or a detachment from the language that we're working to reconnect with. Because it is our language, even if we can't speak it. There is, you know, a lot of history there with boarding schools and assimilation. That part of history that colonizers attempted to strip from us, kind of successfully, but ultimately unsuccessfully because we're reconnecting, created this disturbance. So, yeah, I'm, I'm remembering the language. Adversity breeds determination. COVID has now brought more adversity and more determination to overcome it. COVID has cast a broad shadow on the Ojibwe people and their efforts to retain the language. I started asking Leah about that a few months ago. She started interviewing people in her linguistic community. You just heard Leslie Harper. Leslie Harper is a citizen of the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe, and that's up here in northern Minnesota. I learned to speak our language as an adult. I started working on it very focused. I have been a teacher. They said, well, if we have to close down our childcare setting or school setting, 
where kids were learning the language, you know. They're like, well, we're not giving up. We're not stopping. Leslie lives and breathes Ojibwe women, and she knows she has a responsibility to the language. It's not even like a question. And we started to look at, can we focus on what's going on in the homes? That's been a fun pandemic pivot. And that kind of accelerated this parental generation of learning Ojibwe. If people had their kids at home from school, they had even more impetus to learn Ojibwe language to help their kids out with their Ojibwe language classes. Having my child home, I felt helpless, really, because there's already so much that we needed to adjust to, like, you know, he's got to get his little science project done or his math homework or, you know, all of this stuff. And it's like, where does Ojibwe fit into this? So I have to do my own learning and then share it with him. I bring it back to piano again, because I play piano and my son also plays music. And what I find is when he sees me playing, that's when he wants to play and practice. He'll like scooch me off the piano, like, oh, my turn. And I'm like, but I was playing, (laughs) but it gets him to play. So I feel like a lot of that is similar to learning language at home. How did you do that during the pandemic as a family learning? Mm -hmm. So we struggled a bit, but there were people who started presenting on Facebook Live or on YouTube. A lot of families made this shift to studying together online. And teachers who were still learning, like Leslie Harper, they did too. So we've created some places where some of us are hanging out online and we intently created a community where we had to, you know, speak Ojibwe. Where before, pre-pandemic, we were like, yeah, that'd be a good idea. Yeah, see you next time. Yeah, you know, it was, it was this idea, but we finally did it. After the break, the other reality of the pandemic. COVID's been hard. Uh, we estimate 20% of our fluent speakers died during the course of the pandemic. Jumping in here to tell you about another podcast you might check out. It's called All Ears English. This is a great podcast for anyone looking for a new and fun way to learn American English. Hosts Lindsay McMahon and Michelle Kaplan will help you navigate vocab and idioms and, very important, American English small talk. All Ears English is an English as a second language podcast for immediate to advanced English learners from around the world. But frankly, I, a native English speaker, I have started listening and I'm learning a ton too. Join the community to learn to speak American English as if you were born in the shadow of the Statue of Liberty. As Lindsay and Michelle say, it's about connection, not perfection. Subscribe to All Ears English wherever you're listening right now. My name's Anton Troyer. My Ojibwe name is Wagosh, and I'm professor of Ojibwe at Bemidji State University. 
the language is something that I try to center in my life and try to think in and use with as many things as possible in my life. I'm really privileged in that I get to use the language every day at work. So I, I teach our language. I get to use the language a lot in our ceremonial space. So go around to drum ceremonies and at medicine dance and other things. Leah, it sounds like those kind of events that Anton Troyer is talking about, they wouldn't have taken place during the pandemic. Yeah, and that was a giant adjustment. But those events being postponed were very important to protecting our elders. That was a, a huge priority. And Anton Troyer had actually been teaching virtually or having this option uh, he calls it high flex, so hybrid flexible classroom. And he's uh, he was already doing that for years. And then the pandemic hit and he saw enrollment go up with his wow. classes. Does he know why? Yeah, he teaches at Bemidji State. It's an option to take the class without having to drive an hour back and forth. So just having the option without committing to hours and hours a week. The next person I talked to actually participated in Anton Troyer's high-flex classroom pre-pandemic. Benet is a junior at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities, and she's majoring in Ojibwe. You can get a bachelor's in Ojibwe language. I didn't really get to finish my first full freshman year. We were sent home in the spring. I was in the first year. It was really different once we switched to online. You know, when you're not actually seeing everybody in person, when you're sort of just alone. Going to college was one of the highlights of my life, and I cannot imagine being a student during the pandemic. So much of school changed for students, and most of Binet's undergraduate career is during a pandemic. So, I mean, despite all the teachers doing their best to get together, to bring people together virtually, it's just not the same, right? Like the college experience isn't the same. And so, like Binet says, you just sort of feel alone. I'm taking a language learning theories class right now. We're just learning about how important it is though to not just learn the concepts and the grammar and everything and take your notes, but to actually have, uh, what is it called? Positive evidence, I think. <laughs> you know, when, um, when you're actually hearing it being used in context and with examples and conjugating words to talk about things that are in front of you, that's what's going to solidify all of the other things that you learn in class. It sounds like Benet's picking up a bunch of stuff, but they're fundamentals, right? I mean, they're not the contextual way of learning, as she talks about, like in the real world. Is that what has been missing for her and other students right now? She talked about positive evidence, which is learning in the environment. But when you like physically can't do that. When we are trying to protect one another from a deadly disease, we know that there's language loss, we're losing elders. And in a pandemic, you use what you have. 
Right, and you say we're losing elders. I mean, how has the effort to maintain this teaching, which elders are so much a central part of, that they take the lead in, been possible while at the same time protecting elders from contact with other human beings who may be contagious? We did not want to get them sick. This is Anton Troyer again. And some of our big work projects where we were convening 50 people or more to work on books, we had to break down into isolated small person teams and adjust and slow down some of the work. I think the elders are pretty adaptable to that, but some more than others. We had to change our ceremony environment and we had to truncate or limit attendance that our people are communal and this is these are gathering places for all of our people that made that a really tough adjustment for some people requiring vaccines was contentious but something we did in ceremony space also just you know the losses that we suffered were just tremendous we've been worried all along about every single sacred carrier of our language anyways and this really shook us with the losses and the fear of loss to protect some of our elders who do things like officiate at funerals. Some of our younger people had to step up and do more officiating before they even felt ready or would have done so otherwise. In some ways, that made some people for us. So there were some positive consequences, but it's not like I'd do the pandemic all over again, you know. That's a theme of this pandemic is balancing despair and hope that's not far off from our language and making sure that our language survives and it survives through us and we survive through it, through the language. You know, if we want to continue, we need to bring the language into the future as well. And, and how's that happening? What I really love is a book project done as a collaboration with the Malax Band of Ojibwe and the Minnesota Historical Society with the Anjibimadizing Project. And it's a series of books all in Ojibwemoan. Like entirely in Ojibwemoan. It's not like one page here, Ojibwemoan, then the English version. It's all Ojibwemoan. And my dad had several stories with that. The editor for that was Anton Troyer. And I remember Joe Naquin, A.B. Sr., who lost his brother to a heart attack after his COVID infection. It was related to COVID, although it wasn't a COVID cause of death. Lost a sister to COVID and a number of friends. And I thought he would be saying, this has been the worst time of my life. And he got up there and he said, you know, having all of these young people coming around and working on these books and just seeing what we were able to do, I think working on these books was the best time of my life. And I just, I couldn't believe that he would have that kind of grace, but also that it was a, it was a realization. Something that I'd kind of known, but could just feel more deeply. Doing language work is healing for the language speakers, not just for the learners who are trying to learn about themselves and connect to these things, but it's healing for them too. Ojibwe promo video. 
I have some exciting news to share with you. Another big project is a collaboration with language learning software company Rosetta Stone, announced just a couple of months ago. Our language experts and the Rosetta Stone project team have been working together to create easy-to-use lessons that combine videos, photos, and community members' voices to provide a rich learning experience. You'll have fun learning new Rosetta Stone has committed to developing a series of courses. They'll be free to all members of the Millax Ojibwe Band, which also owns the copyright and licensing rights. And yes, one of the voices is Bill Primo, Leah's dad. He's having a really good time doing it. He gets to go to a nice, cool studio where he gets to talk into a fancy microphone and talk to people virtually. And then he gets to be on site with you know, cameras and a lot of action happening and feel a little bit like a movie star. If you're Ojibwe, this is your language. This is your cultural patrimony. You have a right to be at the table and get access to it. If you're Ojibwe or not Ojibwe, you can still contribute and you're welcome in the circle and space to help advance our language. I, as a language learner, often feel kind of shy, kind of nervous about learning the language because, you know, I have a funny accent when I say it. I don't say it quite right. You know, it's not quite the same as an elder speaking, and of course it's not going to be. But... These words that Anton Troyer shared with me really helped me gain perspective. My learning the language is the important part. So Patrick, I'm going to leave the final word here with language revitalizer, Leslie Harper. There's a part of being Ojibwe that says, hey, we're still here. We're going to make life. You know, we are here with each other and we're going to keep creating the world and keep creating the conditions for the world to keep going because that's just like ingrained in our teachings and in our DNA. Huh, that, that kind of reminds me of what your dad said right at the top of the episode about mm-hmm. people making the Ojibwe words their own. Mm-hmm. Those Ojibwe words are ours. And then as we're able to connect with them, connect with our DNA, and bring out that spirit in us, that is us speaking the language. And that is it for this episode. Well, almost. I asked Leah to recommend some Ojibwe resources. There is a person named James Vukalic, who does an Ojibwe word of the day. And today's word of the day is Kichiaya'a. Kichiaya'a. He's all over social media. And that's our Ojibwe word for elder. He introduces us to words, you know, and kind of goes through some background, some history. So he's a great resource, again, James Vukalic. And there's the University of Minnesota Ojibwe Dictionary. You can input the Ojibwe word and find the English word, or you can input the English word and find the Ojibwe word. And of course, there's the Rosetta Stone. The first year is out. 
also the Anjumamadazing book project that we spoke about with the Malax Band of Ojibwe and the Minnesota Historical Society. And we'll post links to those organizations in our show notes and episode transcript. Big thanks to Leah Lem, who's a woman of many talents, journalist, podcaster, musician. Here she is singing with her band, Molecular Machine. Thanks to all of the people who Leah spoke with for this episode. Thanks also to Lindsay Van Sommeren and to everyone at the Linguistic Society of America. Tina Toby is our sound designer. Alison Shaw manages our social media and newsletter. Subtitle is a member of the Hub and Spoke Audio Collective. We're a group of podcasters who seek out untold stories about people and history and culture and, of course, language. Another Hub and Spoke podcast is The Briny. This is a podcast about how we're changing the ocean and how the ocean changes us. In the latest episode, a sea turtle conservation group builds a distillery to keep their operation afloat. Their hope is that creating jobs could be a way to fight the root causes of turtle poaching. Check out The Briny and all of the Hub and Spoke podcasts at hubspokeaudio.org. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you listen. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. See you then. Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Exploring the human endeavor. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.